We're looking today at those first 18 verses of John's gospel. It's a word that God speaks to us. And we want him to work by his spirit through his word. We need him to work by his spirit through his word. So let's ask him to be at work as his, as his word is preached. Let's pray. Our great God and heavenly Father, we do acknowledge you as God of all, as a God who speaks the Bible to us. Uh, we need you to work in us, and so we ask you, uh, please do tune our heads and hearts to these eternal realities as we hear you speak your word in the Lord Jesus. Amen. Meet Jesus. John wants you to meet Jesus, to see him more clearly, to understand his teaching more, not just to know about him, to actually meet him, to meet him as someone you trust. We're starting today into uh, the gospel that John wrote. He calls himself the disciple Jesus loved. Uh, he was nearest and lent in and spoke to Jesus in the upper room. He's well placed to tell us the truth about Jesus. Uh, he writes near the end, uh, he writes, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We're beginning with verses 1 to 18. Now I find it helpful to look at these verses from two different angles, uh, time and themes. Imagine time stretching back behind us and behind John when he wrote, uh, past Jesus' death and birth, and Moses and Abraham and Adam, uh, back to before there were people or planets, sun or galaxies, gases, universe, angels. John lets us stand beside him and look back through time. In verses 1 to 5, he looks back to before the creation and through to now. Then verses 6, 6 to 13, rewind just to John the Baptist's witness and through to now. And then verses 14 to 18, rewind again a bit further to Jesus' birth and through to now again. Verses 1 to 18, seen through the lens of time. Another way to walk through these verses is to notice the main things John talks about, the main themes. He talks about Jesus, Jesus rejected, and Jesus received. So in verses 1 to 5, he talks about Jesus and those who reject him. And then verses 6 to 13, Jesus, those who reject him, and those who receive him. Verses 14 to 18, more about Jesus and the blessing given to those who receive him. Now, when I'm preaching, I usually like to go from uh, beginning to end, verses 1 to 18 uh, here, and to lead you through it that way. But today we'll look at those themes. Jesus, Jesus rejected, Jesus received. Uh, First, Jesus. John writes about Jesus. But he doesn't call him Jesus until verse 17. Because the person he's writing about wasn't called Jesus until he was born. And this story begins long before that. In verse 1, John points back to the beginning and says, the person we now call Jesus Christ was there. 
He calls him the Word. The Word was there before creation. He was already there before there were people or planets, sun or galaxies, uh, universal angels. The Bible's first words are, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Genesis tells us God spoke and it was so. Over and over it tells us God spoke and it was so. But John chapter 1 verses, sorry, John chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 push back before when nothing had been made before God created anything. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. See, the Word is eternal. He has always been. He has no, he had no beginning. However far back you go, you cannot come to the beginning of the Word. Now, some great philosophers uh, who would have read John, or influenced those who read John, uh, had space for reason and rationality as something that always existed. Uh, there are places in the Old Testament uh, where uh, God's wisdom and creative power as, are spoken about as if they are a person. But John is saying it's not just as if. The word is not an it. The word is a he, a person. In the beginning, the word was with God. A person with God. God wasn't alone before he made anything else. He wasn't alone and he wasn't lonely. The word was with him. The word was a person with him. And the Word himself is God, verse 1 again. John says, the Word was God. Whatever God is, the Word is. They're equal in power and authority and glory and honor and grace. Now, just to be clear, the Word is not just another word for God. Now, Son of God is just another name for Jesus. Christ, another name, title, (laughs) for Jesus. Jesus is Son of God. Jesus is Christ. But it would be nonsense to say Jesus was with the Son of God or Jesus was with the Christ. John says, the Word was God and the Word was with God. The Word is God and at the very same time, the Word is not just God by another name. He is God with the same nature and essence. At the same time, he is with God, a separate person. Now, it's verses like this that push us uh, to talk about God as Trinity. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. The living, true, and holy and loving God exists eternally as three distinct persons in relationship with one another. But there's one God, not three. Three persons existing and relating eternally with one nature and essence. Now, this isn't something we can wrap our minds around and understand. It shouldn't surprise us that our minds can't wrap around the God who made the universe. Our thoughts can master an understanding of God as Trinity, but we can enjoy it. 
we can appreciate it. One aspect of that is realizing that God has always been relational. Actually, not always been relational, he's always related. He didn't create so he could relate to someone. He didn't create because he needed relationship. The Father always existed in loving relationship with the Son. And they share that joyful, loving relationship with the Holy Spirit. They didn't create in order to relate. They related and they created in order to share. The Word is eternal and the Word is personal. Uh, Before everything, he was with God and God was with him. And then verse 3, the Word is creator. I mentioned before the Bible's first words, uh, where Genesis uh, says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, And God spoke and it was so, God spoke and it was so, repeating, repeating. In Genesis and everywhere in the Old Testament, God's word does not return to him empty. God's word accomplishes what he purposes. God's word succeeds in the thing he sends it to do. And chapter 1, verse 3, replays that reality. God spoke and the eternal, personal, divine word made it so. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. The word himself is not a made thing. He existed before anything was made. And God made everything that was made through the word. The word is creator. And verse 4, the word is the source of light and life. He has life in himself and he gives life to his creation. The life he gives was the light for humans. See, why is there a universe and not nothing? Because the word made it. Why are you something and not nothing? Because the word made you. Why are you alive and not dead? Because the word gave you life. See, that tells you, it shines a light on you. It tells you who you belong to. It tells you who you should live for. It tells you that the Word owns you. You owe everything to Him. You belong to Him because He made you. His existence shines a light on your existence. The presence of the eternal, personal, divine Creator who gave you life says to you and to every other human, you are his. You owe him honor. You owe obedience and honor to God who sent him. John, the the, the writer, is testifying to this truth. Uh, Someone who learnt it from the eternal, personal, divine creator who gave life, the Lord Jesus. And in verse 6, he rewinds and shows us another witness who adds certainty. Uh, John the Baptist was sent by God to speak. He was a prophet. He was a witness. Uh, A successor of Moses uh, and, uh, and, uh, and Isaiah and Malachi. God gave John the Baptist that great responsibility and privilege. But he wasn't the center. He pointed away from himself. He wasn't the light. He was sent to speak and to point to the true light. He points to Jesus. Uh, Verse 9, Jesus is the true light who came into the world. 
beginning of verse 10, confirms this true light is the same person verses 1 to 4 describe because he is, because the world was made through him, the true light. Now, think about it, this is a strange picture. John the not light pointing to the light. We've heard darkness mentioned, a light shining in it. Imagine you're in a deep, dark tunnel, a pitch black cave. You can't see your hand in front of you. It is so dark and black. And then the, a bright, of, of the light comes, a brilliant light that fills the cave and makes everything visible. You don't need someone to tell you where the light is, do you? The one thing you don't need in a dark place when the light turns up is someone to tell you where the light is. But this little light, John the Baptist, points to the true light. A pocket torch points to the sun. A word of God speaker points to the word. It's strange. So far, uh, John's shown us who Jesus was before Jesus, before he was called Jesus. He was the Word, the, the eternal, personal, divine creator who gave life. He's shown us uh, Jesus as, as the true light who was coming into the world. Then in verse 14, he rewinds again to when the light came. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 14. The eternal, personal, divine creator who gives light Life and light was born. He became a human. He became flesh just like us. Skin and bone, fat and sinew, muscles and nerves. He became flesh that could be slapped and scourged, bruised and battered, punished and pierced. He dwelt among us. Just like God dwelt among his Old Testament people in his tabernacle temple, the word dwelt among his people in his flesh tabernacle temple, his body. Just like God's glory was seen by his Old Testament people, the Word's glory was seen by those he dwelt among. The Word who was God and with God in the beginning became a human and pitched his tent among us. Really? The eternal personal, divine creator who gives life and light lived among humans as a human. It's mind-blowing, mind-stretching. And in verse 15, John John mentions Jesus' older cousin again. So many Johns here. John the Baptist is mentioned. He's about six months older than Jesus. But listen to what he said about Jesus. Verse 15, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Jesus was born after John, but he existed before John. John's confirming what we've heard before. That Jesus who came was born after him was before him. Because he is the word become flesh. He is the true light who came into the world. He is the eternal, personal, divine creator who gives life. Come into the world. 
John the Baptist said it and John the Apostle wrote it because shockingly, unlike a brilliant light in a dark cave, not everyone saw it. Actually, step out of the Christian bubble and, and look at how most people think about Jesus or don't even bother thinking about Jesus. And almost the most obvious thing about him is that he's rejected. Reading John, uh, one of the reasons he wrote seems to be uh, to, to help re- believers and unbelievers understand why people rejected Jesus. Why did they crucify him? Why didn't all Israel believe his gospel when it began to be preached? Why did they keep rejecting him, Jesus as Messiah? Why do leaders and nations still reject and fight against those who follow Jesus? So let's go back and see what John says about Jesus being rejected. I mentioned earlier Jesus', Jesus existence shines a light on your existence. Uh, the presence of the eternal, personal, divine creator who, who gave you life says to you and to every other human, you are his. You owe him obedience and honor. You owe obedience and honor to God who sent him. But the basic reaction of every human is to reject him. That's what verse 5 says. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness of human hearts wants to be free from him. It refuses to obey and will not give honor. The darkness of human hearts rejects the light. I think John writes as he does because verse 5 is talking about centuries of rejection, millennia. The word has been rejected since the beginning, ever since Eve and Adam and by all their children. Dark human hearts have attempted to overcome the light. They've blinded themselves to the light. That's why they don't see. They've lived as if there is no light. But they have not, will not, overcome. Verse 5 is talking about thousands of years of the word rejected, but not overcome. In the rewind, uh, which begins with John the Baptist's witness, we hear about rejection again. This time it is talking about when the true light came into the world. Uh, He's talking about Jesus' life and death and his gospel praised. The true light... Verse 10, was in the world, and the world was made though and the world was made through him, yet, but the world did not know him. Just like it had been since Eve and Adam, the world made through him, did not know him, would not know him. Not just the world, verse eleven, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Israel rejected him. They refused to recognize their Messiah. The darkness of rebellious hearts has always wanted to be free from him. It has always refused to obey and always refused to give him honor. They stand in the true lights, but they've blinded themselves to the light that shines on them. They live as if there is no light. But they have not, cannot, and will not overcome They have not, cannot, and will not undo the fact that he is. 
they have not, cannot, and will not undo the fact of who they are. That they are his, that they owe him obedience and honor, and they owe obedience and honor to God who sent him. Later in John, we'll hear the consequence of that. But, 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 but verse 12 says, but. Uh, here's the contrast. Here's this third theme. We've heard John speak about Jesus and Jesus rejected. But not everyone rejected, some received. So verse 12, and to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. These are the ones who hear John the Baptist witness and believe in the true light he points to. John speaks about all who received the true light and he immediately explains what he means by that. Receiving him means believing in his name. What does it mean to believe in his name? Well, his name reveals his nature. It says who he is. Jesus means God saves. Christ means God's promised king. The word mean, makes, means he is the one who makes the Father known. Jesus gives to those who receive and welcome him. He gives the right to become children of God, verse 12. Children who call the God who made the universe father when God was rescuing Israel out of Egypt he said to Pharaoh Israel is my firstborn son but those rescued people rejected the word they rebelled through the ages they did not receive him when he came among them they are not God's children God's true true children are verse 13 they were born uh, not of blood It's not genetic relationship or being part of Israel that defines them. Uh, Nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man. It's not human desires or decisions that birth people as God's children. God's true children are born of God. God opens the blind eyes of dark hearts. God gives people a new ability to recognize and receive and trust Jesus. And those who see, turn in trust. They see the word's glory. Verse 14. He is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. They see the unique son, the eternal word, who existed before John the Baptist and before uh, the the great rescue uh, that God brought through Moses. And he brings a greater rescue. Verse 16. From his fullness, Jesus' fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Grace, a freely given gift. Verse 17 mentions the law God gave through Moses. It was a gift. But God gives a greater gift. God gives a greater grace through Jesus Christ. How is it better? Well, we've already heard the goodness of becoming and having the authority to be, the right to be, called children of God. Verse 18 highlights an aspect of that. It points to when Moses uh, caught a glimpse of God. He couldn't see God and live, uh, but the Lord did pass before Moses and proclaim, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Moses glimpsed God's grace and truth. 
But now there's better access. Jesus himself is full of grace and truth. So verse 18, no one has ever seen God, not even Moses. But the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made God known. Jesus Christ is the only God at the Father's side. He is God with God. He is at the Father's side with complete closeness. He shares the same fullness of grace and truth. So he can reveal, and he does reveal, God as no one else could. Here at the start of his gospel, John shows us Jesus rejected and received. John shows us the madness of rejecting the eternal, personal, divine creator who gave you life and came to give his life. He shows you the goodness of welcoming him and seeing God as he truly is and knowing him as your loving father. He shows us the wonder of who Jesus is and how his coming means you can know true things about God and truly know God as your forgiving father. Now each of us will have uh, different things to focus on as God works these truths through our thoughts and consciences and wills and passions. Perhaps there are thoughts about Jesus you haven't thought before. And you need to give yourself time to understand them and to see how they push into other things you think. Perhaps your conscience lights up at the thought that you are his because there are areas of your life that you guard from him. And your conscience could do with soaking in who Jesus is as your eternal, personal, divine creator who gave you life and came to give you life so that your conscience kicks harder when it needs to, so that your conscience sends you to the cross with a greater realization and thankfulness for the forgiveness Jesus alone brings. Perhaps your will hesitates. The thought of Jesus ruling everything, that you can cope with, but you decide and do like you pay taxes. Just what you really have to, because you'd rather keep back as much deciding and doing as you can for yourself. And your will needs to hear clearer thoughts about the supreme goodness and absolute worthiness of Jesus to have all of you. Perhaps your passions are passive. Uh, There's little or no sense of your smallness before the unimaginably vast reality of God who made you through his word. Or little or no sense of wonder at who took flesh to bring your rescue. Or little or no enjoyment of the privilege of knowing God as he is and knowing him as your father. Perhaps your passions are passive and and you need, your passions need to soak in the sight of Jesus Christ 
as the eternal, personal, divine creator who gave you life and came to give his life. Or perhaps your passions are aflame to the glory and honor and grace and truth and goodness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And those passions need to continue to soak in the sight of Jesus Christ as the eternal, personal, divine creator who gave you life and came to give you life. Because you will never think too highly of the Son who reveals his Father to you and makes you who trust him children of God. Let's pray. My great God, thank you that we do see your Son as the scriptures speak about him. Please do help us to soak our heads and hearts, our thoughts and wills and passions, our conscience in the, these realities that you speak to us. Please shine the light of who Jesus is into the dark corners of our thoughts and conscience, will and passions, that more and more we would see him and give him the honor and glory and obedience, and so honor, glory, and obedience to you, his Father. And we ask it through him. Amen.